Right, hello and welcome to the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's things? Yeah, good, man. Um, obviously, a big weekend for yourself and your, your football team. Congratulations. I wasn't going to bring it up 10 seconds in, but as you brought it up, yeah, Leighton Orient were Champions of the League 2 at the weekend. So, uh, Did you get on the pitch? I did get on the pitch. There was a little pitch invasion. Um, it was good fun. Again, I wasn't going to bring it up, but Barney brought it up. <laughs> well, let's move on because we've had a, a string of great guests recently and we continue that run with a great friend of the show, Jamie Farr, who's joining us, fellow member of the Portugal family. I'm sure our listeners will know him. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us again, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, good to be back. Excited to uh, to get into it. It's the business end of the season. That's why we started yeah. having guests on because uh, <laughs> there's so much happening. There's going to be some great games to discuss. Uh, we're recording this on Monday evening, so we won't be able to do the sporting game as that is happening as we speak. But there's wins for Porto. Benfica and Braga and some very interesting games at the bottom of the table as well. Before we get stuck in, just a quick reminder that if you enjoy the show, you can leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we mentioned our new socio uh, system last week on Patreon. We've been so, so happy with the response. We wanted, ambitiously, we thought, 10 Patreons in a week and 20 before the end of the season. We've got 17 uh, eight days later, which is just incredible. So thank you so much for everyone that's got involved. Um, there is a link in the description if you want to get involved in that. Uh, we appreciate all the help that you guys give us. It's, it's been brilliant. All right, well, let, let's let's not waste any more time. Let's get stuck straight in. Um, I want to start at the top of the table uh, with Benfica because, of course, after two consecutive league losses and a disappointing Champions League exit at the hands of Inter, they were desperate to get back to winning, get back to winning ways. It was a home tie against struggling Estoril on paper the perfect opportunity to get things back on track but it's not always easy they got themselves a 1-0 win thanks to a Nicholas Otamendi goal Jamie I want to start with you it might not look like much this result 1-0 but how important do you think this result is going to be to Benfica's season yeah uh, that's that's a really interesting point um the fact that because I agree that on, on paper it it looked like, you know, it's a dream fixture really yesterday we're doing really badly at the moment. And uh, yeah, but it was, I think it was quite typically nervy of, of a team in, in that uh, scenario for Benfica because, yeah, when things suddenly start going your way, uh, going against you, having, you know, pretty much everything went their way previously to, to this little slump. Then suddenly those those harder to win uh, fixtures on paper, uh, uh, sorry, easier fixtures to win on paper could become that much tougher, and and you know doubts and and fatigue perhaps creeps in in in, in a more um, decisive uh, manner. So I think you know it was that classic, uh, you know, instance of just needing that, needing three points to get you know, stop the, the, the mini rot. And uh, with so few games to go now, you know, it's it's all about sort of even potentially limping over the line. But um, they do have two uh, really big matches still in, in the running. So, yeah, uh, 
Porto being Porto as well and the way Conceição has handled um, these situations uh, and these run-ins in the past few seasons, you know, I, I don't think they're gonna gonna slip up. So, yeah, they can't afford really to to drop points in in those sorts of games. So, so good to get it done. I saw him uh, on a Twitter friend of the podcast. A bag full of toffee. He said, uh, first half of the season, this game would have ended four or five nil, and I, and I think that's that's right, right? Because it, it was a pretty solid display. They obviously created lots of chances, but there was just not that finish. And 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 as Jamie alluded to there, then the game gets that bit edgier, and and the players perhaps lose their confidence. And I saw statistics that um, out of all Benfica's scorers, there are only two who are outperforming their XG this season. So, so you know, the likes of Rafa, João Mario, Goncalo Ramos are all underperforming in terms of they, they, they scored less than their XG over the season might suggest. And, you know, they should have basically put a few more goals away than they have. And and in this game, you know, we saw Rafa miss a few good opportunities. João Mario obviously missed a penalty. And, and I think, yeah, I think, you know, that, that what I was saying is early in the season, I feel like this game probably would have ended with a higher score than they might have had that bit of luck, that little bit of less pressure on the players and I think I think that's what we saw but I think you know the, the point is that they got the win over the line and, and obviously that's that's a, that's huge for them you know that just that gets them a bit closer and hopefully they, they can play the next game with a little less pressure on their shoulders Yeah I think I think to be fair to Benfica that on a different day as well this game could have gone quite differently it's important to remember that they had a penalty saved and I think there were one or two other big chances missed so on another day this could have been maybe not four or five nil but two or three nil I did also see that that statistic about Benfica players underperforming their XG I think one of the things that they didn't really mention was that there was two or three of those players I think it was Gonzalo Ramos where it was uh, he'd scored 17 goals from an XG of 17.7 so you think to be fair to him that it's not far off what what he should be scoring. So I don't think it was quite as bad as people think. And this is this is kind of what I've been trying to say for for the last few weeks, which is that I I really don't think things are as bad as people make out. I think they've they've had a congested fixture list with the games against Inter. I think those games against Inter were a bit of a reality check. I don't think they went as well as people hoped, especially from us. I think there was perhaps a little bit of arrogance assuming that Benfica were going to we're going to walk those games basically. And, and I think they obviously had a chance to go through, but you had to respect the competition. So I think that they've done reasonably well to kind of weather the storm during a difficult patch. Really important to get this result. So important. As Jamie said, there's some, some big result, big games coming up, excuse me. Um, and I think just to get that three points over the line, I think it, it's, it's, it's vital. It just means Porto aren't breathing down their neck. Uh, any more than they than they have been. Um, Barney, I want to come to you on some comments from Ricardo Suarez after the game about Estrella's performance. I thought this was quite interesting. After the game, he says, we have defensive organisation, but we needed to be more dangerous when going forward. Um, it was a balanced first half with Benfica on top, but without creating many goal opportunities. In the second half, we had a lot of organisation, a lot of commitment from the players, but we needed to be more aggressive offensively. Do you think realistically they were in the game do you think they can take many positives from the performance um i actually thought it was quite a an interesting 11 he put out um uh ricardo Suarez because you know we didn't we didn't see the likes of uh Giraldas in the team and we had a sort of young attacking midfielder in marquez who hasn't played that much for us for the season come into the starting 11 um he, you know uh he was taken off uh, later in the game, and uh, and Gerardo's actually came on just after half time uh, for 
sorry, I want to get his name right. Thiago Araujo, who um, the ex Benfica player, of course, who had a mm-hmm. pretty bad first half, and uh, and so yeah, you know, a player like Gerardo's would have for me would have been much better suited to sort of being able to hold on to possession that bit better. They obviously had um Gamboa, who's looked pretty good recently, and and he was pretty tired on the ball, but otherwise, you know, they were that midfield just didn't really have enough for me to to compete against the likes of Benfica. Um, I, I think we can maybe take a little bit of positivity from the the, the way they the defended. You know, Figuera had a, a great game in goal, um, the young keeper, and, and Alvaro at the back, and a partner with Vital again was good. Thiago Santos, of course, the right back, who really shone actually out of this uh, this eleven. Um, you know, seeing Allison is playing right back for Benfica, you know, they might be could be looking at someone like Thiago Santos the next season to come in and give that bit of extra depth. Um so yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't been impressed with Ricardo Suarez at all since he's come back to Estrid. I I think there's been some really they just haven't shown much of anything. And like I said at the beginning, I thought this was a, a sort of a weird team that he put out to sort of compete against Benfica. Well, Jamie, this is what I wanted to ask you about Ricardo Suarez, actually, because like Barney, I thought Danny Figueroa had a good game and goal, obviously done well for the penalty save and done well for a few other saves during the game. Um, I uh, The reason I read out that quote is because I found, I found his comments after the game to almost be a little bit limp. I kind of, they felt a little bit defeatist. I think he opened his press conference by saying, you know, first things first, Benfica deserve to win. And I think it's not necessarily, although I, I, I respect that it's a touch of class from the manager to, to be gracious in defeat, but it's not quite the sentiment that I'd want from a manager, especially when my team's, more or less in a relegation battle that they do have a, a small cushion. To be fair, I thought they did well against Porto at the Drugal a few weeks ago, although they didn't get anything out of that game. I thought they had moments in this game. And I think defensive solidity was was pretty good uh, throughout this game. But, you know, they've only managed one win so far under Ricardo Suarez. He's a manager that we rated highly um, from his past achievements in the league. What do you make of him? What do you make of Estoril under him? Are you seeing signs of improvement? Uh, yeah, like Barney said, um, it's yeah not exactly been a too successful return because especially the high standards he set at Gil Vicente when he was when he was last in the league he did a sensational job really um, with them. Um, yeah, I mean tactically and sort of selection wise, maybe it represented a little bit of a, a bit of a missed opportunity I think you know it's it's always looks quite damning when you leave out an attacking player a creative player like Giraldes, um from an from a lineup in in a game like that in, in inevitably that leads you to draw conclusions that they you know it's a, a park the bus sort of scenario and then when you see him come on at half time you you know it always smacks of of uh, you know perhaps um, you know maybe maybe we shouldn't have done that and I think that was such a, I think the what was key about that as well is the fact that they didn't have um, Thiago Gouveia, um who you know could couldn't play um, due to you know being on loan from Benfica but to have Araujo play um, who's quite a sort of you know he is a left left sided player who. It's quite versatile in terms of attack and defence, but in that in its in itself suggests that there was perhaps a bit of caution applied where ordinarily you know that'd be a a solid tactic to to take to 
to uh, Stadio de Luz, but surely this is a, a good a chance as any to to at least give it a go, and you can, um, you know, somewhat write these mm. games off, um, especially the position Esther are in the, um, you know, it's not like they're sort of in the battle for top six or something. So, yeah, a bit a bit disappointing from from their point of view, but you know, they 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 battled to to keep the score down. I mean, part of that was, was Benfica wasting mm. chances, obviously, but um, yeah, a tri- admittedly a tricky, tricky situation for Suarez to come um, during, during the season and didn't, um, you know, his, his brief will obviously just be make sure they stay up and, and, and nothing more. And, and as I say, considering the heights that uh, he got Gilles Vicente to, um, and the fact that he's had no transfer window with with Estoril, he's he's not. I guess he's he's kind of feeding on on scraps to to that extent. But um, yeah, it's probably just one of those where the where everyone involved just wants the season to be over over with as soon as possible and and make sure make sure they um, stay out of the relegation places. Mm. I wonder if that cautious attitude was, of course, not just down to the fact that they're playing Benfica away from home, but also I think. Estoril might have been quite shaken by last weekend's results, which saw them fall dangerously close to the relegation places. You know, they've had a fairly comfortable mm-hmm. cushion, but uh, last week with Maritimo winning and they're losing, that was reduced to three points. And I think maybe Ricardo Suarez was aware that if they lost this game and Maritimo won, then that was it. They were really in that battle. So I can kind of understand it from that point of view. Just lastly on this game, Jamie, I'll come straight back to you, actually. I one thing I've noticed, and we discussed the last week's show, was was Schmidt's use of substitutions and, and the way he was rotating the team. There was a bit of rotation in this game, some of it for, some of it not. Um, we saw we saw young Neves come in midfield, but also we saw Alzheimer's playing at right back. And one thing that I've noticed about Schmidt more and more recently is that he's been bringing Peter Musa on quite a lot for Gonzalo Ramos when he's not been getting the goals. Do you get the impression, as we did, perhaps that Schmidt, despite obviously having a wonderful starting eleven to work with, perhaps is less impressed by his his options on the bench? Perhaps um, that's caught up with him on a few occasions. I, I have to say, I do like Nevs, and Alzheimer's is a great player, but I, I was surprised um, to see him playing there instead of Gilberto. Yeah, I think that was. Um... Yeah, it must have been a bit of a kick in the teeth for for Gilberto, really, with with um, with uh, Alexander Barr still out. That you know, as the as the only real proper uh, right back in in the senior squad, that he he chose to shuffle things around, and um, you know, Gilberto is not has not had the strongest of seasons individually, but that can't have done his confidence any any good. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm. I remember reading some quotes from Schmidt earlier in the season about, you know, asked on his views of of rotation, um, and they seemed to sort of suggest to him not being such a big fan of it and wanting to keep that, you know, play as strong as eleven whenever he can and and whatnot. And I don't know if this is a case of, you know, that idea and that, you know, this long season catching up a little bit. I mean, I was surprised to see Florentino on the bench. Um, whereas perhaps maybe some other, um, you know, in terms of uh, using Florentino as 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 someone to rotate, he's been in and out of the team a little bit for various different reasons. So 
he did seem an unusual candidate in that in that regard to to be uh, to be on the bench. So it'd be interesting to see what the following uh, lineup is because um, yeah, Nevsh had a had a good game by all accounts and and is sort of well thought of um, inside the club. But um, um, yeah, it'd be a big decision if he if he keeps him in in the in the lineup again because. Um, they've got decent options in the, in the middle. Um, obviously, um, nowhere near as strong after Enzo mm. left, but um, yeah, I think I think there is a bit of fatigue setting in, which is only natural. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he makes any more changes because I mean they're away to Gilvercent next week, and you know again on paper form. You know, the form um, tables suggest that, you know, he might want to take that as an opportunity to rest a couple of players and think they can get the result. But as we mentioned earlier, you know, there's going to be little margin for error and uh, in this in this uh, title running. So, yeah, fascinated to see what he comes up with. Oh, but I think Neres for me has got to stay in the team. I think uh, out of those attacking players that we've, you know, maybe the Jean-Marie Rafa, even Goncalo Ramos to some extent, Grimaldo as well. I feel like out of those key players, they've all not at their best, but Neres coming back into this team and then that starting 11 looks like someone who's got that bit of um, like unpredictability. that sort of that, you know, he, he he seems to be making things happen. He's He's got that mm. spark and I think, yeah, he's he could be a real key player for them in the run and he's looking really good. Mm, definitely, definitely. Um, it's going to be fascinating to watch both of these teams going forward. Benfica for obvious reasons, but also Estoril because for slightly less positive reasons. But very interesting to keep an eye on their games and see how, if they can improve at all in the last few games of the season. Um, let's talk about Porto then because they're obviously keen to keep the pressure on Benfica. Uh, and they did that with a 2-0 win against Passos. They were made to wait against a Passos team that I thought were were pretty resilient, although they were reduced to 10 men before they conceded. Um, I think we should start with with Passos because obviously their survival hopes are looking pretty bleak at the moment. It was a very spirited start to the game, I thought, particularly while they still had 11 players on the pitch. Arguably deserved to score from at least one of the chances that they had. Barney, what did you make of them watching this game? Yeah, I think you're right. I think they, you know, Cesar Pachotto set them up quite aggressively you know like you said mm. they had the, the, the very fast start had a couple of chances in that f- the first 10, 10 or so minutes um played with quite a high line defensively as well which um you know they were sort of trying to c- compact the space and yeah and then uh, it was just that the red card was the real turning point which was such a shame you know so late into the first half into injury time and Jordan Holsgrove who's been such a good player for them recently you know an important player in their sort of in that fight that 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 fight that started the sort of the great escape would and it was you know some of his performances in that midfield that really sort of galvanized that passos team it felt and it was so I was gutted to see him get get the the two yellow cards. I think they were both yellow cards. Obviously mm-hmm. the second one which was you know when you saw him VR he did make connection uh should never be flying into a challenge like that on a yellow just a I few know. minutes after you've had your first as well. When when your team's in the position that they are. Yeah, it it wasn't good, and obviously that just changed the game for them. I think I, I thought um, Vekic in goal, the twenty four year old Slovakian goalkeeper, um, who's actually on loan from a, a from the Slovakian league, made some you know some big saves. There was two one on ones with Taremi, so they got themselves to a point where like you know 
we've just been talking about pressure mounting on Benfica. You know, I could we, we perhaps saw that with from Porter as well when when you know, they they still hadn't scored and uh, and then they and then they got that penalty as well from uh, a sort of push from Nuno Lima, who once again has been another player that I've really liked in this passive team. He's a good young centre back, and it was just a. A silly mistake. I can't remember if did he even just admit it in the in the post match co- press conference. Just said, "Yeah, I pushed him." Like you know, just <laughs> as bluntly as that. So it's uh yeah, it was a shame for Passos. Uh, they just you know, I think I just think that red that red card just completely killed any chance they had of grinding out a, a point or even trying to nab a win. Listen, I mean, it's funny because uh, you know people have been talking a lot about Porto having the opportunity to to hunt down Benfica in a title race. I don't think Porto have been perfect either recently. I, and it, as bizarre as it may sound, I I, I admired Pichotto a lot in the way he saw his team because I think he made the right judgment call that there there was a game for the taking here. Mm. Whether or that whether that was going to be three points or just or just one point, I think Passos had the opportunity to score, and I think they defended pretty well. And Porto haven't been at their free scoring best recently so I could totally have seen this being a 1-1 or even a, a 2-2 depending on how it went for Passos of course the, the red card changes the game completely um, big chance in the game Barney for Passos in the second half Alessandro Gedge threw on goal and we see Pepe sprinting back to make a last ditch challenge now most people's response to that was of course to marvel at the condition that Pepe still finds him in himself in at 40 years old mine was absolute fury at Gedge for not taking the chance and shooting sooner um I'd go back and forth with Passos Jamie about whether I think they have the quality to survive there's times when I think they've got the personnel to do it uh, and there's times when I look at them in exactly games like this and I just think perhaps the mentality is not quite there I think they've been hit really hard Two games in a row now. Of course, the loss to Maritimo last week was a disaster. But this one, psychologically, to to try and overcome the, the not just the loss, but the red card, the performance, the fact that they played well and sealed the red card. And I wonder whether it's just creeping into the players' minds now that the, the season might be slipping away from them and, and the chances they have to put points on the board, they're just falling away, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think they're just running out mm. of time now and, and running out of... Uh, winnable games, or you know th- those moments. You know, you, you mentioned that uh, that Maritimo game. Um, yeah, you, you can't afford to let those sort of chances slip by, and um, you know it's 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 even more damning, I think, at that end of the table when you know your your performances and potential and squad can can look okay, but you know. There's there's really no hiding from it that they 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 look so adrift. Um, I mean, five games left, five points behind Maritimo, and that's just for the playoff, um, which has sort of recently been quite unkind mm. to the Primera teams. Um, so that would be no gimme uh, if they were to get into that. But on current evidence, they they don't even look like making that uh, sort of sixteenth spot. So. Um, you know, the bizarre upheaval that they had of Pichotto uh, leaving and coming back. Um, you know, I'd, you know, that can't have had a sort of good effect on the, on the squad or, you know, at least in that sort of interim period. Um, yeah, tough to take because, yeah, there's a lot to like in that squad and lots of a nice sort of blend of 
experienced players and and younger players and sort of outside talents like Holsgrove, who's been uh, yeah been really solid um, for them, particularly in the last sort of fifteen games. Porto aside, um, yes, but um, it's a pity really because. I think a couple of seasons ago, I really liked the look of their squad, and I think they they looked like a really solid bet to to sort of really cement themselves as you know in that mid table area, what you know of of safety. But it's it's been it's been a catastrophe really of a season so far, and and it's difficult to see anything other than than relegation for them at the moment. Well, five games to go, so we will keep an eye, of course, but things not looking great. Uh, Barney, on Porto then, it was a goal for Taremi and another for Tony Martinez as well, who scored a couple recently. Very important for them, of course, to grind out a win in what was a very difficult game. I think a lot of people assumed that, you know, given the situation passes in, this was going to be an easy one, but they were made to work for the for the result, really, until the red card. Yeah, and maybe the penalty came at the right time for them. Um, and Taremi started away quite nicely. I, I, I think um, their strength and their attacking options is really help them we've seen in recent weeks you know look being able to bring Tony Martinez and uh, Danny Namasso and Namasso in particular I feel like it's you know as soon as he comes on he seems to be able to help change a game and, and get things going Um, so that's been really key for them and, and the I mean the, the other player who I was really impressed with Albert who's sort of playing in a slightly different role to what we've seen most of the season is Otavia playing in the centre of centre midfield rather than out wide on the right I mean I saw that he had he's got the record in this game for sorry the, the third most progressive passes in the game he, it was it, this season by any player was by him and he also holds the record for the second most but you know I mentioned that high line that Pachotto was playing at, with Otavia was so good at sort of finding those passes in behind and and I like but I wonder if this is you know the the eleven they went with obviously Manifest filling at the right back at the moment um, for the injured Jao Mario but. It's, otherwise, I think that's probably their strongest eleven. You know, you had Pepe and Galeno on the wings, Otavio and Aribe in the middle of the park, Evanusson and Taremi up top. Although Evanusson's not informed, but you know that's a that's a really strong side, and it feels like it feels like a, a winning combination of players. And I think that's you know, the conscious out to have sort of found that combination at, at the right time, and, and all those players sort of playing at their best, particularly Pepe on the right, um, right, right midfield. I think that's a it's a really good thing for Porto, really good position for Porto to be in. Well, you say finding it at the right time. I suppose you could argue that it's it's a few games too late, given the, the point stuff that they find themselves in. And of course, the fact that it's not been a perfect season for Porto. Jamie, I think, I know you just mentioned before that Conte South's uh, built for these run-ins, perhaps. He knows how to finish a season well, but they didn't start the season well and, and uh, they weren't consistent. Obviously, we can put that down to losing some, some key players, which... Let's be honest, all of these teams do, and Sporting have suffered from from that as well. Um, but are you impressed with how they're finishing the season? Do you think that bodes well for uh, the next season to come? Um, and what do you make of them overall in terms of how they've performed? Yeah, a couple, you know, the, the the losses they've had. I mean, they've only lost three matches in, in the league this season, but, um, you know, uh, at least that one, you know, they might look to that Gilles Vicente game in particular, um, at home and just you know and think and I know they were in good form at the time but um, you know the the other two losses albeit one to Benfica and away to Rio Ave are almost you know you know 
to a degree acceptable blips that you can see coming but they they've fought, they forged such a reputation for sort of steamrolling their way through you know maybe not always the, in the most stylish manner but it was quite surprising to see them lose that Silverstone game and and it could just come down to that you know of course many other factors at play but um as ever i think you know like Love him or loathe him, I think Conte Sal's way is is his way, and 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 generally speaking, he seems to sort of get results. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, as as ever, you know, he seems to be linked with uh, several moves away, um, and seems to be quite in demand. So, but it always seems to end up staying at Porto, which is obviously a club really close to his heart. So. Um, it just seems to be, be that he sort of seems to have the exact same tricky job on his hands. You know, there's so little in the way of investment for him to work with, albeit what, perhaps one uh, potential black mark against him this season is maybe the, the, the David Carmo situation, which has been a bit of a puzzling one, really. I mean, you know, a lot of that could potentially owe down to the player himself and maybe he's having a lack of uh, confidence or 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 whatever it may be but uh, we've seen Constantinople be a quite a hard taskmaster with um, new signings uh, in particular you know he he uh, he'll only sort of let them let them play when when he thinks they're ready um even like I remember at Emilitao back in the day being you know forced to wait quite a while um comparatively for his debut and then and he was soon off to Real Madrid. So, um, but yeah, the Carmo situation is a bit odd because, you know, it costs so much money, just seemed to be on a completely upward trajectory being linked with Liverpool. And, you know, there were sort of suggestions he might make the Portugal squad for, for the World Cup. And now he's playing, you know, playing B team matches. And it's, I, I can't really recall a situation like that. Uh, in in recent years, in, in in many leagues, when you consider the the transfer fee, um, so yeah, a lot of work for for Conceição to do in the summer, regardless of whether they end up with the title or not, and and the Tassa de Portugal as well, they've still got um, a, you know, a good chance of winning that. So, um, plenty plenty to sort of ponder in in the summer, but. Um, that feeling is going to be, you know, it's it's very much shaped by what what happens in the next couple of weeks. Because if they go into the summer with a double, then you think, you know, Consisal's done it again. So um, I think there's extremely uh, sort of fine margins at play in terms of the, the the feeling around his tenure and 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 where they go from here. All right. Well, let, let's touch on the last of the top four games um, and talk about Braga. I say touch on because. We barely mentioned them last week. Um, we've left them till last from the top four this week. Uh, and they seem to be going a little bit under the radar. They're not really in that title race. They're not really in that battle for the Europe Conference League, which is taking up a lot of our attention. But they keep plugging away in third place. They're winning games and going under the radar quite a lot. It's four wins from four now. They're 10 points clear of Sporting in fourth, although Sporting are playing their game in hand as we speak. 
Um, we've obviously been focused on on the title race. Naturally, that race for the Conference League and the relegation battle. But Braga's season has also been fantastic. Of course, there was a time at the beginning of the season when they were fighting to be in the top two. Perhaps they still are. I'm sure their fans would still consider them part of that battle. Uh, the ship hasn't quite sailed yet on, on their top two hopes. But even if they were just to solidify that third place and, and a Champions League playoff spot, it would be absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm interested to get your opinion, Jamie, because me and Barney have discussed on this podcast a few times about how we think they've actually improved under Arthur George, something that I think I naively assumed wouldn't happen when they went from Carlos Cavalier to Arthur George. Um, is that something you agree with? Do you think they look do you think they look better season better this season than they, they were last season, or do you think perhaps they're just taking advantage of of sporting's inconsistencies? I think they've had, yeah, as you say, they've had a really, you know, kind of quietly really good season and and to to suggest that they're in the, the title race with with five games to go which frankly i you know i think i think they're in the mix especially as they play um benfica still uh and if they were to win at benfica i mean they won the first game uh the at um at the quarry and uh, so would have the head-to-head advantage and you know that's that's six points that you know that, that would you know likely require a perfect record from uh, from Braga and obviously a slip up from Porto. But to me, it doesn't seem impossible. Um, I you know I'm not backing it to happen, but it's the fact that they're where they are is 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 a really good achievement for for Arthur George, especially you know he's he's had to negotiate a little slump that they had in the season. Um, you know, after that's that's hammering to Sporting early in the season. I think he nearly walked. Um, and uh, as you say, yeah, big big shoes to fill with Carvalho go- going to Celta Vigo. So, um, I think I think he's kind of just continued the good work really, and 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 got the best out of his strong players that he has. Um, we're starting to see the likes of Medeiros getting back to form. Um, Ricardo Horta is Ricardo Horta still um, just exceptional consistency I'd argue there's no one more consistent uh, in the country um, for the last two years or so so yeah I think I think like you I had some scepticism of when you know when a B team manager gets gets the senior gig you know whether that says more about me than the than the process, but um, I think he's done a fantastic job, and and uh, yeah, it'd be it would be a real breath of fresh air uh, if he if he could uh, win a title. And of course, like Porto, they've still got the well, I mean they've got the 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 certainty of a the virtual certainty of a Tassa de Portugal final hmm. to come with um, having beaten Nacional so convincingly in the first leg of that of uh, their semi. So. Um, again, I mean, if they ended up with a you know Champions League football, at least from the qualifiers and and a and the domestic cup, I mean, would be extraordinary season. So, Barney, I see you nodding along when Jamie's talking about Ricardo Horta. I thought he played really well in this game. I thought Braga in general played really well in this game. Again, sometimes this happens to me where I feel like I'm a little bit out of touch with with everybody else. I, I I really enjoyed this game. I thought it was a really exciting watch. I then went on Twitter after the game and saw a few people saying, you know, it wasn't very good. I enjoyed it. 
Um, what did you make of Braga in the game? Only 1-0, of course, but I thought both teams played well. Casapia played well, and I thought Braga probably deserved a win, to be honest. Yeah, I, I wrote down, although it was a sort of another 1-0 win for Braga, but, you know, they were very much in control, I felt. Um, and, and this is all down to this sort of what Jamie was alluded to there, this and and this new consistency that Arthur George has brought to them, you know, um, they they just play these games out very well. They're very strong. I mean, perhaps at the back defensively is where you can see the the real difference between them last season and this season. You know, that partnership of Tormena and Niakate has been so so good, and 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 we've seen different players come in at the fullback positions, but you know that centre back partnership has been has been really really key to them. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll happily talk a little bit more about horse travel because I think one thing we haven't covered on the podcast yet is the fact that he's, he's renewed his contract with Braga, you know, have, considering we, we was ever so close to joining Benfica at the end of the summer transfer window. You know, how different this season is. So easy, so easy to forget that, isn't it? It's so un- easy to forget that. I mean, yeah. It, it, what's Is it a sliding doors moment? You know, think how different mm. the season could have been. And, and do you know what's perhaps more interesting because I think Jamie was absolutely spot on where he said that Ricardo Horta has been the most consistent player in the league if not for this season for the last two seasons because if he'd gone to Benfica there's no indication that he would have been a regular starter for them you know considering the the, the, the players they have at their disposal and the fact that he's he stayed with Braga just been an exemplary player for them and, and then now could get them into this not single-handedly, of course, if there's plenty of other players, but, you know, get get them into the Champions League. It would be a huge achievement for himself and, and Braga. Um, I'm just, yeah, I I, I was actually flinching a bit out at the beginning there where you were sort of not putting them in to the title race shout because I, I, I think I agree with Jamie, you know, they've, it's, it's, they've got to play Benfica. That's going to be a really good game, a really key game. And they're also, they're, they're running otherwise, apart from that, is... Um, Portman's next, then Benfica, Santa Clara, Boa Vista, and Paso de Ferreira. And uh, I remember talking about the Benfica and Porto running last week. You know that 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 looks like a little bit easier. You know, you know, and then I, I'm certainly not going out. I think they've been so so good. They're so consistent across the pitch, and I think that's going to carry them onto a really strong finish. I think they're set to beat their points total in the Premier League, aren't they? Uh, I really think they'll get that. I'm laughing, Barney, because. Really good friend of the show, Dave Pereira, our <laughs> local Braga fan. Um, subscribe to our Patreon this week. Very kind of him. Thank you, Dave. But he sent me a message and he said, listen, I'm in. But if you start praising Braga on the show and then we go into a poor run of form, I'm unsubscribing. <laughs> so uh, now that we've tipped them to win the league, uh, let's see how that goes. Um, do you know what? Re- I-, I really love that conversation about who's the most consistent player in Portugal for the last few years. Really good shout out Ricardo Orta. I think I'd throw... Pep from Porto in in uh, barring injury, I don't think he's had a bad game in the last two years. Um, Casapia then Barney down in ninth place now. Uh, they lost one five games ago. I think is this a bit of a cause for disappointment considering what they achieved earlier in the season? I thought personally they played okay. They played pretty well. I thought they counterattacked quite nicely at times. They've got quality players on the pitch who can make things happen. Um, Obviously, Rafael Martins is in good form. I backed him to get a goal in my uh, Jornada 29 preview article on Portugal.net. Didn't come to be, but I thought still they had the opportunity to get something from the game. Uh, maybe the fact that they're, they're, they're at least taking positives from these games, they can hope for a kind of a, a miniature second bounce in the last few games of the season. But 
I think they're just a bit too far off the European places now for that dream to still be alive. Yeah, I think there's certainly been a sort of a drop off in terms of the, like you lose to what the, the fight for the European places, perhaps. I mean, I, uh, in this particular game, I thought Batista, the goalkeeper, what is he, 37 years old? He had a hell of a game. And, and I, I think I touched on it last week as well, that, that Cas- it'll be very interesting to see Casapia next season. Um, there's a lot of old players in there, uh, but a couple of players who might be moving on, like Salado, and uh, obviously the manager, uh, fully. Martins has done an excellent job, so I'll be interested to see if he can get a move. Uh, so yeah, that perhaps it's just the case that, that that's their season done and and the sort of um uncertainty of what's going to happen next year. Jamie, I, I'm sure you've written about Casapia quite a few times this season, their players and, and their manager. Um, what do you make of their success? I, I mean, it's not something a lot of people saw coming. But they seem to be a really, really well-run operation. Uh, they seem to have great ideas that they execute both on and off the pitch in terms of signings, but also in terms of tactics. Um, like I alluded to at the beginning of this this section, I, I, I've i just got a feeling that although they have slipped up a little bit, that they still have the opportunity to, to bounce back a little bit more in these last few games, pick up a few more wins. And I think... Although you know there's an air of disappointment about the fact that they might not quite complete that dream of 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 finishing in a European place in their first season back in the Premier League, I think once the dust has settled on this season, they'll look back and be absolutely delighted with what they've achieved. Yeah, hundred percent agree. I think yeah, it can it must be tricky to when you know when they when in these scenarios where you exceed all your hopes and expectations to such a level and you know the the temptation to set new targets because it's difficult to suggest as uh, ambitious and confident as they might have been that that qualifying for Europe having just got promoted would, would was a a tangible target for the for the summer so yeah the, the notion of trying to set new targets and you know how how much the, the disappointment in not reaching those sort of new goals is it's difficult to assess. But yeah, I think however they end up finishing, I think the fact that they not once have ever looked like getting involved in a relegation scrap is is a huge achievement in itself because it's, it's just so difficult, you know, generally can be so difficult to do. Um, and I think their squad, yeah, their squad is really good, but... Um, you know, it probably it did lack. It seemed to lack a bit of sort of that top flight experience on paper, and um, you know, with a couple of uh, notable exceptions like Martins, who's you know got plenty of that. Um, I think they've just, yeah, I think they've done in, incredibly well, and um, and it's been a sort of quite a clear philosophy from from the manager, and they've just quite rigidly stuck to that. Um, that sort of three four three template and and done brilliantly. So um yeah, typical second season syndrome and, and that sort of thing is gonna be um interesting to sort of track uh, uh next next term. But um yeah and I think I, I, they've also done well with the 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 issues they've had you know with their stadium as well and not being able to play yeah. home matches at their proper ground and and I think um uh, there's there's already negotiations I don't know if it's confirmed that they're going to play at Belenenses old ground uh, the Restolo mm. uh, next season 
So it's another, you know, and sort of third home in in three seasons, sort of thing. And because uh, it sounds like maybe the um, uh, the the renovations at to, is it Pinot Monique, I think, are going to take a little bit longer than than expected. But um, yeah, amid that upheaval, I think they've they've done done a really good job. And um, yeah, like Barney says, I think Lelo is an obvious example that looks like someone is going to be picked up by one of the bigger teams. Um, and yeah, it'd be interesting to see what you know what parts of that squad remain because yeah, they are they are aging as Barney mentioned, and and you know they do have a a couple of couple of those sorts of players like Lelo and and Soma who have who have looked uh, looked really interesting prospects. So. Yeah, key summer ahead for them as as it is with with all the teams, obviously. But it's just got that added factor because you know they must be two or three steps ahead of of a realistic plan that they had in place. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, it'd be vital as as to you know the the resource management, whether you know how they uh, how they proceed next year. But definitely one to watch. Yeah, I think that's that's a key thing that you just mentioned there. Everything's gone to plan for them so far, and perhaps this summer will be the first time that that plan is is really tested, depending on who stays and who goes. I was just looking at their season trajectory uh, on transfer market. Um, it's really interesting to see that they arrived in the European places on Jornada 6, and they stayed there all the way to Jornada 26. So they had a really good run in those European places. And I've said it before, but perhaps, you know, Given the 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 fact they are a newly promoted team and they haven't won't have the most squad depth out of the teams in and around them, um, perhaps the season just caught up with them uh, a little bit. But still, very interesting team to uh, to keep an eye on. Um, let's move on and do another game then. Um, a massive game in the race for Europe. Uh, a game that me and Barney picked as our game of the week last week, and this was of course Aruka versus Vizela. Both teams went into this game in great form. Both teams have really impressed us this season. Um, it was a really tough one to call in advance, but Aruka got a 1-0 win thanks to a Morlai Sitter penalty. Jamie, in my opinion, I think it was a deserved result, although it was a close game. Um, and I think it's just another in a string of impressive results for Aruka this season. They're now six points clear in fifth place. The last time, this is a great fact, the last time they lost to a team outside of the top four was all the way back in November. So they've been incredibly solid, uh, incredibly consistent. And it's been a fantastic season, one that me and Barney have been open about many times we did not see coming at all. So uh, I'm interested in what you put that success down to, really. Yeah, it's been absolutely, it's exceptional. It's, it's, uh... I think Armando Evangelista's. I mean, he's the manager of the season for me. I think it's just quite extraordinary what he's done with, with that squad, and um, which you know, which that's not a slight on the squad. I think I there's a lot to like in that team, but as it's it's more, as you allude to that, you know, for Ruka to be fifth uh, at this stage of the season, I think it's fair to say that there's no, you know realistic suggestions from any anyone who watches the league that that could have happened um and even in you know in the last few games he's had his best striker or arguably his best striker Dabba ruled out for for a few matches and um 
I mean, quite fortunate that uh, Rafael uh, Mujica came back in, at, you know, a sort of crossroads kind of moment. But they've handled that loss really well. Um, yeah, the match. I think it was it was sort of quite an entertaining one, really, and 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 it was quite nice to see as a neutral, really, to see those two really go at it and and for it to be closely fought and and come down to the real fine margins because. I think that was indicative of 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 those two teams. You know, it didn't I don't really think Vizela deserved to lose, to be honest. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, just those fine margins, the, the you know, VAR decision right at the end, the penalty save. They, you know, they were they were really in the match themselves. So, um, Aruka just edging that one, and and yeah, it's just it's just I think it's just fantastic. It's a it's a brilliant season and um yeah just hope that they can kind of keep that group together and 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 uh let evangelista as long as he's not poached um mm. add to it and and who knows but they look they're looking really good for europe um at the moment so yeah manager of the season for me by uh quite a distance actually I think I'm right in saying that this might be Aruka's first time in Europe. If they qualify, I could be wrong. Um, but incredible achievement nonetheless. And as you say, Jamie, it was a great game. It's rare that me and Barney big up a game and then the game itself <laughs> actually delivers. So so that was nice. Although although there was only one goal in the game, um, there should have been more. And that was down, in my opinion, largely to one man, Ignacio de Alabarreña. The Aruka goalkeeper Barney, another incredible game from the uh, the uh, Uruguayan. One penalty saved, eight saves overall. Um, he saved an expected goals of two point eight, which is pretty incredible. He had a ten out of ten rating on goal point. For me, Barney, he's he's more than likely going to be my goalkeeper this season. He's one of the big reasons why Aruka won this game, and he's one of the big reasons why they are where they are in the league. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it was a, an incredible performance. And I, I I think it was our first Monday night football we did uh, back in the autumn. Uh, was, mm. was it Vittoria via Ruka? And I felt like I was slating him in that game. <laughs> and since then, he's been unbelievable. He's been ridiculously consistent. I mean, uh, it's it, it, another incredible performance. And, and, and do you know what? I was just thinking, hearing Jamie talk there about and and you know the fact that they they really look looks nailed on now for for this European spot. You think of the previous seasons when we've seen the likes of Gilles Vicente and uh, Passos de Ferreira. The the first season we started doing this podcast, you know th those sort of teams getting into those European places. And and you think of the players that they had at this disposal, and and the the players that went on to bigger things. You know the likes of Bruno Costa at Passos de Ferreira or, or Samuel Lino. You know. And and my abiding memory of those teams was was there was exciting attacking players right, and but what we've got with Aruka is a completely different situation because I can't really name a single one in that squad, maybe Arabrenera, but to go as a third choice keeper or something. But anyone in that squad who who might make that jump up to a bigger club in this league, right? And uh, all those players. Uh, you know they're not young, incredibly young. More Siddha, for example, the guy who scored the penalty in this game, and who's who I, 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 is fast becoming one of my favourite players in the league. You know he, he's twenty four, perhaps he's got the biggest shout. But everywhere else in that pitch, you know they're, they're, these are players that are 
have had bits, you know, quite long careers and, uh, and that bit's older. And you look at the defence, for example, Thiago Escayo, Basso, Galovic, who's, you know, come in and, and taken Opoku's spot at the back. All these players are, are playing incredibly well, but they're still not those sort of players who you could see moving on. And I think that's the, the point I'm trying, trying to make here is, you know, the, the job that Amanda Evangelista has done you know, in putting this team together and, and getting these players working as a team and, and fighting for each other. And I I'm, I think the, them getting to the European places is a completely different story to the likes of Jules and Passos in, in the previous two seasons. I think that's spot on because, you know, last season, of course, they were in a relegation battle. And 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 this season they're at the complete other end of the table. But it's not even like there was a huge overhaul of players in the summer. This isn't a completely different squad, or at least this is not a squad full of obvious stars that they've brought in. You know, you talk about what players might get pinched in the summer. Well, the bag's already been signed up by another team. He'll go to Belgium. I think Anthony is the one that might attract a bit of a price tag. He's only twenty-one, I think, the winger. So uh, he could attract a bit of a. Um, yeah, a bit of a, a transfer fee for Aruko. But other than that, I mean, of all the players, you know, we mentioned the goalkeeper, but Joao Basso at the back has been absolutely immense. The guy's been a revelation this season. He's been a leader. He's been he's been the best their best player for me by 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 head and shoulders above the rest of the team. Unfortunately, he left to get pitch injured during this game. I wonder how how much of a problem that will be. I don't know how serious the injury is. He might he might be back next weekend. We don't know. Um, on Vizela Barney, it was perhaps they were a bit unlucky in the game. I know, I think Jamie alluded to that a second ago. It was a clumsy penalty, it was undoubtedly a penalty, but just a clumsy one, avoidable. They played pretty well. They had the goal ruled out very, very late on. I don't think they played badly at all. And I think from their perspective, they'll they'll, they'll feel a little bit hard done by not to get anything from the game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was gutted for Samu uh, for missing the penalty. He's been. A really, really good player for them. I really, I really highly rate him. Um, yeah, it's it's like what we've been saying. You know, we've just been we've we keep a we've heaped a load of praise on Aruka in the last few weeks. Was are, are just a, a few points away from them, and and their their achievements this season is you know shouldn't be uh, uh, downplayed at all. Really, they they they've put in, put together a similar in a similar way. They've got a really good team and and, and players are, are really finding form. Um, they just, yeah, they just perhaps like lacked that opportunity. I mean, I, and yeah, like, like you said, Arabinera had a lot to do with the reason they weren't able to get anything from this game. Jamie, when Alvaro Pacheco was sacked, me and Barney were absolutely devastated. Um, we couldn't understand the decision, but I think with the benefit of hindsight, you have to say perhaps the Vizela board were onto something because they were languishing down the bottom end of the table under Pacheco despite putting up some. Uh, positive performances and, and Tralipa has taken them just to a different level. He's he stepped things up a gear and they you know they're talking about a, a European fight rather than a relegation fight. So fair play to them because perhaps they saw something that the rest of us didn't see. Perhaps we were blinded by the flat cap and the, and the trainers. Um, I still love Avril Pacheco. I hope he comes back to a club soon. Um, but it's been a very good season for Vizela as well and the improvements they've made. They're quite a similar story to teams like Aruka, teams like Kazapia, um, whereby they've, they've not had big investment. They've still got a lot of the same players that they, they had in in the season that they were promoted from the Segunda Liga. And they're still experiencing a lot of success. So um, they've also been, credit to them, a, a great team to watch this season. Definitely, yeah. I think, again, they... 
uh, barring that uh, sort of briefly flirting it with it with which led to Pacheco um leaving that I don't really recall them being in in any sort of relegation battle to speak of and that's that's pretty huge uh, for for you know a, what is still a newcomer to to Primera Liga and and I think yeah Tulipa's done uh, done an incredible job when you consider that there was big unrest amongst the fans um when he was hired not 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 um for him per se but I think you know Pacheco was a popular figure and and you know results were starting to to dip um so he kind of yeah he had a he had some unrest to sort of navigate in those first few matches but again fantastic job um brilliant form that is yeah technically come to an end but as we've been speaking about you know that was a coin flip of a of a match really um you know that 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 uh, against Aruka that that so easily could have seen them taken one or or three points so um yeah incredible um performance from the team and and uh, and the manager so they can be really proud and and you know i think yeah obviously we'll probably just fall a little bit short in in terms of europe but to be to be even vaguely in in that argument is is quite quite an achievement it'll be really interesting to see what they do next season because you're starting to get the sense really that they're onto something pretty good especially if they keep a lot of those players and if they add even just a little bit more quality in one or two areas it'll be fantastic so i think next season's going to be really fascinating for Bizella. All right, guys, let's do one last game from this week's Primera Liga because it was an incredible game at the weekend between Family Cow and Maritimo, a game which we can't look past. It ended 3 2 to Family Cow. Maritimo raced into a 2 0 first half lead before a second half comeback, including a 98th minute winner, which saw Family Cow take all three points in a hammer blow. For Maritimo. Jamie, let's start with Maritimo. We spoke, me and Barney, last week after they beat Passos, that perhaps they were on the right track for survival, that you know they were closing in on Estoril and perhaps they were even going to survive automatically. The first half went as good as they could have hoped, but to capitulate in the way that they did, the biggest thing for me is that this is not about the points lost, but how big a blow mentally could this be for them to try and overcome? Yeah, uh, agree. Um yeah they really did seem to have turned a corner as you say and um you know it would have been beyond their expectations because Famalakau have been really good recently and you know maybe it was a sense of uh, you know being quite surprised at being up at such a strong position with uh, you know and maybe not you know having the metal to see that see that position out or or you know how to you know how to navigate that you know the, the the game with those dynamics but um yeah they did seem to you know lose their heads a bit and it was what there was it was a controversial sort of moment for it to for, for Malakau to get back in the game but again it speaks to the mentality that they potentially let that you know let that get to them and 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 couldn't recover from that because as Everyone in football knows, you know, these 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 things will happen, injustices will occur, and you know you have to sort of respond to those moments. So, yeah, it looks tricky for them now to avoid 
um, you know, the staying out of the uh, relegation playoff. I think they'll be fine for the bottom two, but um, as we as we spoke about before, the 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 relegation playoff is is no joke and not to be you know taken lightly. And that's they did look you know momentum wise, the, the contrasting with Estoril, who are just sort of nose diving and. Maritima just looked to seem to get it together and it's quite a bitter blow and um, because yeah the, they'll want to do everything they can to avoid avoid that playoff but um, yeah I think that's it could be quite a significant turning point into that sort of become a reality you know becoming a reality for them at the end of the season mm, definitely Barney it was obviously good first half performance where they showed what they can do. Even Brian Riascos got on the score sheet, but it did show that psychological weakness, as Jamie mentioned, not holding on. We had a brief interaction with Kevin Fernandez on, on Twitter. He was on the show a couple of weeks ago. He's a Marita Mister. Uh, he said this type of thing has happened too, too often this season, not being able to see out games. I thought even when they conceded two, and it was down to two two. I thought they actually did okay to kind of weather the storm. They, there was a, there was that period where they took on a lot of pressure at two two. They got through that in the into the last ten minutes of the game, but just that killer blow one minute from time when they're about to get a valuable point. It's such a tough result to take. I'm I'm sure like uh, like me, a lot of our listeners would have watched Arsenal versus Southampton at. At the weekend, and that was a game when a team in a relegation battle goes up against a, a more successful team, gets into a lead, and unfortunately lose the lead. The difference that I felt between these two games in that game, Southampton is still walking away with a point and, and positives to take from the game. This is what I'm trying to say: is that the fact that this is a loss and that third goal takes everything from this game is what makes this such a uh, a psychological blow more than anything. It's such a tough result to take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was trying to cast my mind back to when I remember talking about them throwing away leaders. It, it was back against a, a way to Portman Ends where they went one and up within 13 minutes and then they ended up losing 2-1 and that was with a, a last-minute goal as well. So I think Kevin's right. You know, this has happened too much. Um, I Because I was actually really impressed with their first-half performance. You know, they sort of uh, reverted to sort of five-at-the-back situation with win-backs and we saw the players like... Um, Paulinho, uh, um, at right, uh, right wing back, uh, getting the assist for the first goal. He's been, you know, uh, he's a right. He's been an interesting player because um, he arrived as a free agent, having left Marens in the summer and signed for Marito in November, having not played any football first part of the season, and he'd been on the bench all season, and now he's played started in the last six games. And I never thought in this podcast I'd be saying um, there's a, a better right back in Marito than Claudio Wink, but you know he he's he's been pretty good and. Peter Costa on the left-hand side as well. You know, he got an assist in the passless game. So that those positions of the pitch, they've they had improved, in, and and that's that's what it looked like at the start of this game. But then, yeah, the the, the sort of reverting to five at the back, they sort of had for the start from the start of the game, they sort of had nowhere to go. And you look at their substitutions who they uh, who they put on. You know, the, the likes of Atamo and uh, Jesus Ramirez, a striker. Bruno Jadis came on and. and they didn't have those defensive substitutions to make. Obviously, Claudio eventually got on, but uh, you know it was a um, right in stoppage time, and they they weren't able to weather the storm. I mean, maybe we should turn the conversation on to Pamacano because we've got to give them a lot of credit for getting themselves back into it. Um, you know, they, they didn't let their heads drop, and 
a team in, in a great run of form and 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 belief and and yeah they 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 kept fighting right to the bitter end yeah i think we have to be balanced about this because obviously we're, we're focusing on marie tomorrow and, and what a, a negative this is for them but the family cow fantastic turnaround for them their fans must have been absolutely delighted especially because they're you know they will consider themselves on the hunt for europe as well so from their perspective they will they would have been delighted at the fact that they went 2-0 down but were able to turn the game around um they're a team on the up for me jamie since ron nuno Souza's come in or come back in shall we say he, he he's made a real impact he's been in charge 30 games 17 wins and they're up to sixth place in the league um, of course, they also made it to the semi-finals of the Test of Portugal, which was a, a bonus. Um, they've had a couple of of seasons of inconsistency in in a couple of years gone by, I think. Um, but they seem to have found a manager again, and and perhaps a system that that seems to be working. And you know, we spoke to Patrick last week, is interesting to get his opinion that um, this is more like what Family Cow should be achieving for the kind of players that they've got, perhaps the resources they've got, uh, and the club that they are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they they sort of blew up, blew up when they uh, when they got promoted a few years ago, and we you know sort of with uh, Pedro Gonzalez and Diego Gonzalez and that team. That team was so exciting to watch, and um, and they really shook things up for 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 a good few months of of that campaign, and and uh, yeah, Sus is back and done a really uh, great job at with them because as you say i they were sort of floating around in sort of mediocrity the last couple of seasons and sort of never really getting involved with any kind of european or relegation fight just sort of coasting through to to a degree which you know which is helpful in in one regard but it's yeah it's 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 good to see them back and they they they, they really do seem to play some nice stuff and uh, which which was again as we as we've all alluded to throughout um, the podcast with these kind of level teams, I think can often you know bring about success even though they had they can't match the the truly big teams in the league. You know it's it's still possible to play good football and and get res, get sort of pretty consistent results and and fight for European places and and go on to better things. So. Um, yeah, I think they've been one of the most enjoyable teams to watch in the last few weeks or so. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, so that's a good point. I was I was listening to Patrick uh, on the episode, and and I, I agree that, that um, you know they they do seem to be quite a well managed team, you know, across all levels, and and yeah, when you look at the sort of you know the playing squad and some of the players that have come through, uh, you know, and some of their sort of scouting resources and and the players they've unearthed in the last few seasons. You know, maybe they should be th- sort of thinking mid-table is 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 sort of the minimum, really. So, um, again, with Aruka playing as well as they are, Europe might just escape them. But um, yeah, we'll see. It's 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 been. It's, it's you know they always say don't never go back in in terms of uh, you know in, in football but I mean Sousa and I I was skeptical about Sousa going back but I think he's done a he's done a great job and um, yeah hopefully they can keep him for a, for a little bit longer this time around. 
Yeah, similar to Vizela, I think uh, they're a team that's got their act together in the second half of this season and, and we'll be looking at next season as an opportunity to make an impact from the beginning. I'm sure also, to be fair, the uh, family car hierarchy, the the team upstairs will be will be looking at their their wage budget perhaps and, and looking at teams like Aruka and, and Vizela and Casapia or teams who have let's be let's be fair, probably got a smaller wage budget than they have and, and, and see those teams that they should be uh, finishing ahead of. So I think next season will be an, uh, definitely another interesting season for Family Cow. Uh, Barney, I want to talk about Jean de Cadiz, uh, the striker, because I think we've had a conversation on this show once or twice about how Family Cow got a lot going for them, but perhaps not uh, a great goal scorer, a great striker since, since Simon Banza left. Well, in comes Jean Dercadiz with three goals in his last three games. Also, one thing I didn't register, I don't follow the competition too closely, but um, he scored five goals in four games in the Taça de Portugal earlier this season. Uh, and he seems to have just started transferring that goal-scoring prowess into the league. Um, so he's, we know that he can do it. We know that he can score goals. He's starting to show it. Uh, he starts showing it. If you give him a chance in the box, then he will be a real threat. Um, we saw that last game. Uh, when he scored from that wonderful Penetra cross and we saw it again this game. So he looks like he could be, uh, you know, they could have found another gem almost out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, certainly. I mean, the, the, I'm trying to think back to the, sort of the players they've they've played up top. You know, it was 33-year-old refund for the first half of the season. So having that player like Cadiz in there is that bit more dynamic and uh, and certainly a bit more of a physical presence has really benefited them and, and having players on the wings to sort of try and provide in, in Dobra on the, on the right and then... Ivan Jamie on the left. I'll, I'll be interested to hear Jamie's thoughts on Ivan Jamie having um, seen his excellent piece for Portugal um, as, as figure of the week. Um, but I, if I, I wanted to actually look a little bit further back in that family cup team, Albert, uh, the, the, I feel like a bit of a football nerd to say that this is my favourite double pivot in the league, but Colin Bato and Zayda uh, Youssef, I know I talk about them so often, but this game... I'll just read out their passing accuracy. I think it was a record in it for a midfielder this season. Colin Bato finished the game with a 98% pass accuracy. Zaida Yusuf finished with 97%. You know, and, and they've just, they're so well balanced. I love the way they, they work together. Um, you know, one one covers, one goes. Colin Bato's great um, free kick delivery, you know, close and long range free kicks is, is really boosted it. Uh, family cows um, set pieces and, and, yeah, I just, I, I just really like this this midfield, and 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 now that the they've seemed to have sorted out the attacking options and and going with this, you know, the, the, those Cadiz, Jaime, Dobra, and Rodriguez who are looking excellent. It just looks like a really, really strong team. Go on then, Jamie. What do you make of Ivan Jaime then? Because he was your figure of the week. Was it last week or the week before? But he's someone that. He's he. We've expected big things from him for a few seasons at Family Cal. Perhaps he struggled to motivate himself always to always apply himself on the pitch. But similar to a lot of the Family Cal players, he he's finishing the season really well and 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 being linked with some big moves. Yeah, I think talent wise, he's for me he's right up there in in the league, especially outside the sort of big three or four. Um, yeah, he did. I think you know he had a. Very bad, uh, very bad injury which kept him out for a long time. Um, uh, and he's done really well to sort of recover from that. And and 
I think he was, you know, he was a sort of glimpses player. You know, he his his ability was sort of quite obvious, but typical, you know, typically as as can be the case with a lot of creatives and you know wide players who like to drift inside. You know, it's the inconsistency and the, not not making the most of that talent or enough of an impact on games. But I think he's just been dictating matches consistently for the last you know few weeks and months and and quite rightly earning the attention of some of those bigger teams and for me he's their number one player and um yeah everything goes through him and uh he's a big reason you know the one of the biggest reasons why why they're doing so well and and flirting with that top sort of you know with those european places mm. Wonderful player, and uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if he does end up at uh, one of the big three clubs next season. And if he does, how does he do? Um, well, it will leave it there for game discussions on this week's podcast. Just to update you with what the other teams got up to this weekend, Boavista and Rio Ave played out another five goal thriller. Boavista beat Rio Ave 3 2. Porto Menendez beat Gil Vicente 1 0. That's another vital three points for Porto Menendez, who somehow seem to be picking up points in the last few games. And Santa Clara and Showers drew 1-1. A point for Santa Clara, uh, but it's still an awful, awful long time since they last won a game. Uh, with five games left, I think we should do something which we haven't done in a few weeks, Barney. We should do a quick roundup of the table just so you know where everyone is at with five games to go. As we know, Benfica, top of the table, four points clear of Porto. In second, Braga, two points behind Porto in third. And there's a bit of a gap to Sporting, who, as we speak, are nine points behind. But, of course, if they beat Pretoria, they will close the gap. The race for Europe gets very exciting. Aruka currently occupy fifth place. They are six points clear of Famalicao and Pretoria, both on 42 points. And then three points behind them, you have Vizela and Kazapia. In mid-table, you've got Chavs, Bervista, Rioravs, and Portimonens. Credit to Portimonens, we can now consider them a mid-table side. Uh, Gilles Vicente also on 31 points mid-table. The bottom four, Estoril Prior, 25 points. Maritimo, 22 points. Passos, 17 points. And Santa Clara, 16 points. So five games to go. It is getting very, very interesting all the way up and down the Premier League. Well, I think that's all we've got time for today. But as all our listeners will know, there's only one way we like to end the show, and that is, of course, with a game recommendation for you to watch this weekend. And as has become tradition, I'm going to put our guest on the spot first and go to Jamie for your Game of the Week recommendation for this weekend. Well, yeah, there's a number of uh, sort of tasty-looking matches to choose from, really. Um, you know, Invicta Derby with Porto and Bovista is... Is usually a pretty spicy, um, spicy matchup, but um, I'm going to pick one which may not uh, end up being too aesthetically pleasing. But um, Estoril, um, Estoril against Santa Clara is uh, is huge, huge <laughs> down the bottom. Um, two um, pretty wretched teams, uh, in all honesty, in terms of the form at the moment. I know Santa Clara have stem the bleeding to a to a small extent by getting a getting a point against uh, Shavs uh, l- last weekend but um you know that is that is last chance saloon for Santa Clara if they if they want to uh, you know even think about um 
you know, relegation playoff, which which is, is their best bet at, at this point. And Estoril, I think, if they can win that game, that might yet prove just about enough to keep them away from from the playoff. Um, you know, and really put the pressure back on Maritimo again. Um, who themselves, as we've as we've spoken about, have a big task to sort of overcome that that Famalicao disappointment. So. Yeah, I'm not expecting stylistically, uh, you know, anything particularly remarkable to happen, but it should be a real battle and and you hope that they can really, you know, you hope both teams are just going to really go for it and, and um, uh, we, we, you know, especially Santa Clara because they really, it really feels like they have absolutely nothing to lose. And I think they played a little bit with that, Slight abandon against Chavez, and and albeit slightly fortuitously, ultimately did get, you know, a, a small reward for their efforts. So they've got nothing to lose. Um, so yeah, let's see. I think I think it's going to be uh, a real dogfight, and I'm quite looking forward to seeing how it pans out. Jamie, this is why we love having you on. You just get it. You get this podcast. That is the most long ball football choice you could have picked. And it is absolutely candidate number one for Game of the Weekend. That is Estoril Pride versus Santa Clara Sunday at 3.30. And of course, if you feel like doing the double header, you can go straight through to the Derby D and Victor at 6pm. What a lovely Sunday afternoon that would be. Barney, I'm guessing you can't top it. I'm looking at Saturday at 3.30 in Braga versus Porto Menendez. Once upon a time, that would also have been a shoe-in for long ball football uh, game of the weekend. But uh, not now, I don't, Not now. I feel. No, I, I think it's a super Sunday for me. I, I think Sporting Family Cal could be a nice little game at the end of that Sunday. Um, I just want to add fuel to the, the Estoril Santa Clara because that has certainly got to be game of the weekend. Um, Santa Clara have got two points out of a possible 36 in their last 12 games and and Esther have got three points out of a possible 36 in their last 12 games so <laughs> it's all set up nicely um something's got to give <laughs> yeah it's going to be a nil nil perfect <laughs> yeah. to be fair to Santa Clara they've scored uh, a goal in their last two games so that's, uh, that's an improvement for <laughs> fantastic well look clear your schedules for Sunday it's going to be a great day of football well that just leaves us to say a big thank you to Jamie for being our guest on this week's show. Thank you so much for joining us, mate. Uh, it's been a great episode and we've really enjoyed having you on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, always uh, always look forward to coming on and uh, chatting all things Portugal. And um, yeah, just can't wait for the, uh, for the run-in. Mm. Uh, Jamie is uh, a fellow writer on Portugal.net and does an excellent figure of the week feature you can find all of those on portugal.net and of course we'll put jamie's twitter in the description of this podcast but it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week, yes, next week.